of things coming up that we want you to know about. First of all, this afternoon, 4 o'clock, we have a prayer gathering here. Do you know we have prayer gatherings every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. It's a chance to come and pray in a small group. We do it on the second and fourth Sundays. It's led by Greg Teal, one of our elders. And so this afternoon, 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary, a chance to get together in a small group and pray for one another and to pray for needs within the body and needs in the community. Now, not tonight, but a week from tonight, we're having a gateway movie night. This is a movie called, that some of you may have seen in theaters called Sabina, Tortured for Christ. It's a great movie from Voice of the Martyrs, an amazing ministry that helps the church in America understand the persecuted church. And so we're doing the movie Sabina Tortured for Christ. It is a great movie. I took my older kids to see it when it was in theaters. And so parents, it's your choice in terms of the age of what you feel comfortable with, with it. It's not a violent movie, but obviously there's a lot of references to sufferings for Christ. There will be limited child care available. We will send you an email tomorrow or Tuesday with details about child care availability if you have younger kids that you don't want to see. But it'll be here in the sanctuary next Sunday night at six o'clock. Now I want to give an update on the host ministry. So Seth Rodebeck is one of our elders and he leads a ministry to the Montgomery Public School System. So Seth's going to come give you an update on what's going on with hopes and how you can be involved. We've got our hopes, which stands for helping our public education system. This past week, we started with our after-school tutoring program. So we're doing that. Um, we also have our Bible study starting this Tuesday morning. Um, and then we've also got a lot of different things going on. But just a ways y'all can get involved. First, would love for y'all to be praying for this ministry. If you want to be on the email list where you get more specific updates, please text me, call me, whatever. I'll get your email address on that list and you'll be able to know how to more specifically pray. The second thing that we need um, with our Thursday night tutoring, we do meals for the families. That's kind of the buy-in we ask from the kids and their families is that their families come and eat with us. And so if you want to be a part of helping provide meals, that is a big need we have right now. Whether you want to uh, buy the meal yourself and bring it, whether you want to fix the food and bring it, or if you just want to give some money so that we can provide that meal. Julia Smith is helping us with that. We've got a website, a Take Them a Meal website. So let me know if you want to be involved with that. And the last thing is this Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., we'll be over at Capitol Heights um, Middle School to start our Bible study. This is our 12th year to do that. It's been the foundation of this ministry. It's been a wonderful way to get the gospel into those kids. And so if you want to be a part of that, we will be there at 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning. So let me know and y'all can join us for that. But please be praying. Thank y'all so much. Thank you, Seth. Now, if you want to learn more about any of the things he mentioned, go to our website, gatewaybaptist.com, click on news and events, and I think it's the second post there, you'll see a thing about Capitol Heights and how you can be involved in helping the school with so many needs. And so, Seth, we're grateful for your leadership on that. Two things in the service today to be aware of. First of all, our kids' choir is going to be singing for us. This is our first of sixth graders, so boys and girls, you know, you already are ready for this, but you'll be coming to the front singing um, for us in the, in the service right before we have our prayer time. And then at the end of the service day, we will have communion, as you can see before us here. It's a special time as we reflect on Christ's suffering so that we could have redemption and have grace. Now, before I do our call to worship scripture today, I need to give you an update on CJ, our associate pastor. Some of you may have seen the ambulance and the paramedics here this morning, CJ had a heart issue this morning while he was here on campus with us. Now, some of you know this, he had some heart trouble several years ago and had improved over the last year. He started having trouble again this week and it hit full force this morning. His heart went into VTAC and he has a defibrillator that shocked him multiple times. And so he is at the hospital in Baptist South this morning. Nikki is with him right now. Um, and she said that he's stable. He's out of it though from all that's happened this morning and from the medicines they have him on. 
They really need your prayers. She said that he said it was worse than his heart attack two years ago, what he went through this morning. So just if you saw what was happening on campus, thanks for your patience with us this morning. But please be praying for CJ. We love our brother so much, and we just hate he's still walking through this. But that's where CJ and Nikki are this morning. Now, as we prepare our hearts to sing, Lord, can I ask you to stand, please? We're going to begin this morning thinking about the cross, thinking about grace, thinking about what God has done for us. We're going to begin this morning singing a song, It is Finished Upon the Cross. There's this great line you're going to sing in just a minute. Boldly I approach my Father, clothed in Jesus' righteousness. There's no more guilt to carry. It was finished upon that cross. So think about what we're going to sing. This comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Friends, let's approach the Lord with confidence knowing that Christ's righteousness covers us. Again. It was once 
There is no grace. 
found in you and you alone. You bore the wrath that we deserved on a cross built for thieves and sinners, abused and tormented and taking on the full wrath of your father to purchase your bride, to purchase sinners destined and deserving of hell and eternal punishment but instead your son Jesus bore the wrath that we deserve and we sing all we have is Christ. Nothing in and of ourselves can we bring to earn or merit salvation. All of our hope is in you in your grace and mercy alone, Father. It's in your name we pray, amen. Come on up here, I'll start scooting back, I'll explain what you guys are doing. We want to introduce to you guys a new song. It's one we're going to add into the rotation on Sunday mornings. And so we want you to learn it. And what better way for you to learn it than let our boys and girls teach you this new praise song. It's a song called Jesus Strong and Kind. Ms. Laurie Smart back here on the piano is our third and fourth grade Sunday school teacher. She's been teaching all the kids first to sixth grade this song. They've been learning this and they're excited for them to teach it to you guys. So boys and girls, teach us Jesus Strong and Kind.
much for your parents and your seats. Good job. Thank you for teaching us that amazing truth this morning. I hope you'll listen to that song. You can find it on Spotify, and we're going to be singing that in the service together. Good job, guys, singing that to us and teaching us that Jesus is strong and kind. We're going to have a prayer time, and so William Fox, one of our elders, is going to come lead us in an intercessory prayer time now. You'll bow your heads with me, please. I want to read from Psalm 111, and then praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. When I, when I pray after these verses, I'm going to pause in some time so we can lift folks that are up. We look around before we closed our eyes here and we see all the people who are here and all the people in different circumstances. And that song is amazing in the sense of we, we look around and we are real people. We have fear. We have weakness. And if we don't feel that right now, we just have to wait a little while and it'll be revealed in some way. We have weakness. We feel lost, unprepared, not knowing where to go or what to do. We have all kinds of other things, but we can look to God as these verses remind us because he is faithful and he is good and he is strong and he is kind and merciful. And Father God, we, we just come to you as people who are not deserving to be coming to you other than you have brought us into your family by your great power as we read here where you have brought redemption to us you have found us when we were lost and you brought us into your family that is why we can come to you and we just praise you for that we praise you for the the faithfulness that you have for us, the loving kindness that prompted you to, to reach out to us and the grace that that shows that you have we thank you, and we just we just lift up people that we that we know individually that are in challenges, and we we lift up CJ in particular right now, and Nikki and and, and uh, their their family. We just pray for wisdom on the part of doctors. We pray for comfort on the part of him and Nikki and 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 the family that uh, 
I can't imagine just going through this again and it just seemed like it's come to a conclusion or calm down. And uh, we just lift him up before you. Just pray for a supernatural work on his heart and his body. Amen. And if uh, you need to use drugs or techniques or whatever, we pray for that. We just pray for that to be ended and in, in, in for your glory and your glory alone. We know folks that are going through other challenges and suffering. People who are, people who are in the midst of medical things, people who are in the midst of challenging things in their family. And uh, we just want to pause and, and lift some of those folks that we know up to you. Just we know that you you can and you work, you can can do on their behalf. We just pray for these prayers that we're lifting that you to work out and and be active in these folks' lives. We lift up to you, folks, in new and difficult circumstances. I think of school starting back. I think of people starting new jobs. I think of people who have lost jobs, people who are changed positions, things like this. And I just we just. Pray for those folks right now. Father, that they will, you'll prompt them to look to you because you are faithful and good and strong and kind. We, we pray for people who are in their families, in their neighborhoods, through their work, in, in ministry, and through their work in all facets, that they are reaching out to, to share you with others. And we pray for the individuals that... Uh, we're interacting with, that you uh, provide divine appointments, and that you help your word uh, speak to their hearts and draw them to yourself. And uh, you use us in what, in what ways you think uh, we need. We just lift up to folks that, are, that we're, we're trying to reach out to in those capacities. We just pray that you will work in their hearts. Father, for all of us that are engaged, we just pray that we'll look to you because you are good and you are faithful. You are strong and you are kind. In these verses in Psalm 111, you, you tell us to remember. You, 
because we don't remember well, very well. We don't reflect back on how you've worked in our own lives and how you have been faithful and good and strong and kind in our own lives and bringing us to yourself and how you've worked in our lives since then. We pray that you would bring those things to our minds as we go throughout even this day, that we would be just full of gratitude and thankfulness for the work that you've done, that we were totally undeserving for the blessings that you have provided us that we were totally undeserving of. We thank you that you are working, that you are working there. Great are the works of the Lord. They are full of splendor and majesty. His righteousness endures forever. He is gracious and merciful. He remembers his covenant forever. He shows the people his power. His works are faithful and just. He is worthy of praise forever. Amen. Okay, boys and girls, in first to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. You got Mr. Rick this morning and Miss Kim. So first to fourth grade, you can head to kids' worship this morning. While the kids are on their way out, if you will find 1 Peter chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1, as we continue our journey through this amazing letter. Now, as we begin 1 Peter 1 this morning, I want to ask you this question, friends. What most captivates your heart and your mind? What is it that most captivates your heart and your mind? Now, what do I mean by captivating? When something is captivating to you, it's something that you find yourself attracted to. It's something that holds your attention. If you look at a dictionary definition of what is captivated, it says it's something that charms you. So friends, what is it for you? What is it that consumes your thoughts? What is it that consumes your feelings? Something that consumes your energy and your pursuits? What is it that most captivates your heart and your mind? So you think about the last week, the last seven days, even this weekend, what is it that your mind focused on the most? What is it that your feelings were drawn to the most? Now, for many people in the world we live in is things of money and things of finances and the things that money can buy, that new car, that bigger house, that new piece of technology, that dream trip you want to take. For others, what captivates them is relationships, the relationships that they're determined at any cost to keep or the relationship they dream of and imagine or the pressure of trying to keep people to like them. For others, what consumes them is their work and this determination to succeed and make it to the top and get to the next level, and their thoughts are always consumed with work. For others, it's hobbies, it's entertainment, it's the things they do to escape, their sports, their online games, their online presence, whatever it is. There's many things that can consume us, that can captivate us. What is it for you, friends? What is it over the last week that has most captivated your heart and your mind, that your emotions have been most drawn to, that your mind has thought about the most. Now, I ask that question this morning, friends, because as we continue in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's going to remind us of the need for something to captivate us. He's going to remind us that our minds and our emotions should be captivated by something in particular. Now, to see what it is that Peter's going to show us, we need to understand his flow of thought here, understand the context of what we're looking at. Just to remind you, as we've already looked at verses 1 through 12, that's his introduction to the letter. If you remember, there's no commands in 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12. It's just his beautiful picture of the grace of God and how God's grace has changed us. Then starting in verse 13, as we begin the body of the letter, Peter's given us three commands so far. So in the last several weeks, we've seen the first three commands, the first three imperatives 
of the letter. Do you remember those? The first one was back in verse 13. Look back there. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The very first command is set your hope fully on God's grace. We saw that that first command is a call to us to discipline our minds as we respond to the grace of God, to discipline our minds to focus on God. The second command we saw a few weeks ago was in verse number 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And we saw that the second command of the letter is a call for us to intentionally pursue growing and reflecting the character of God, reflecting the holiness of God through our lives. And then the third command that we saw last week is verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, here it is, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, the third command letter is to have a healthy fear of God. So the first three commands that Peter tells after he says, remember God's grace, think of all God has done for you. First three commands, discipline your mind, focus on God, pursue holiness in all your life, and have a healthy fear of God. Because if you think about those commands to discipline our minds, to pursue practical holiness, to fear God, friends, these are commands impossible in our own strength. This is the boys and girls are singing. These are things we cannot do on our own. There's no amount of self-help that's going to help us be holy, fear God, and discipline our minds. There's no white-knuckle determination that's going to create these things in our life. So after laying these three foundational commands for us, the next thing Peter tells us is not a fourth command, but rather is what needs to captivate us if we're going to do what he has just told us to do. If we want to focus on God, if we want to reflect God's holiness, if we want a fear of God, something has to captivate our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, our feelings all throughout the week. And what is it that has to captivate our mind to pursue this? It's quite simply the theme of the book, the grace of God. The grace of God is what needs to captivate our mind, his grace, his undeserved kindness to us. The whole book is, is about standing firm in the grace of God. And so no surprise what needs to captivate our minds if we are going to pursue knowing God, if we're going to pursue fearing God, if we're going to pursue holiness, is we must be captivated by the grace of God. So let me tweak our question for the morning just a little bit. Let's let make this our question for today. Specifically, does God's grace captivate your heart and your mind? When you think about the last week and the things that our minds were drawn to, our feelings were drawn to, was it God's grace that captivated us? That's when it's the reality for me and for you is there's a real danger in us not being captivated by the grace of God. Now, most of us in this room would answer, yes, I believe in God's grace. Yes, I value God's grace. Yes, God's grace is important to me. And though we can give the right answer if we're asked and give the correct church answer here, so often in my life and I think in a lot of our lives, if we're honest, the thought of the grace of God didn't cross our minds enough during that day or during that week, and we pursued things that were much more captivating to us than God's grace. Does God's grace captivate our hearts and our minds to help us rediscover the wonder of God's grace, to be captivated by it so we can stand firm as this book commands? Peter now gives us several truths. Again, there's not a command here, but he's going to lay out for us several truths, several reminders to help us be captivated by God's grace. We're going to look at those today in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Yes, we're going to try four verses this morning of 1 Peter, but verses 18 to 21. Now, in the, in the Greek, this is actually one sentence. Actually, the one sentence goes back to verse 17. So since 17 to 21 is one sentence, I'm going to read today starting in verse 17, but we're going to focus on verses 18 to 21. So as we read, be looking for what are the truths 
that are laid out for us that should help us rediscover the wonder of God's grace, that should help us be captivated by the grace of God. So 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 17. Can I ask you to stand once again in honor of the reading of the unchanging word of God? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and if you're a visitor, we also have the words on the screen for you. Verse 17 of 1 Peter 1. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. And Lord, as we talk about these reminders, these truths, Lord, I pray you would put in my heart and the heart of these friends an awe of your grace. And we talk about it so often, we read about it, Lord, it can become so commonplace, so casual for us. Lord, I pray in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters that today your word being used by your Holy Spirit would captivate us, captivate our hearts to dwell on, to be in awe of who you are and what you have done. And may it transform us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So there's five reminders here in the text, five truths here for us. And I'm calling them reminders because these are not new. These are truths that you see all throughout Scripture. And these are truths that should sound very familiar because he's really reminding us of things he's already written about in the previous 17 verses. So yeah, he's 17 verses in and he's already now reminding us of things he's already talked about because he's laid out these three commands. And now to do these commands, we've got to be anchored back in these fundamental truths of God's grace that he has given to us. So look back at verse 18, and again, notice how he begins. He says, knowing that. And this is not a command to go learn new things. This is a participle. And in the Greek, it's called a causal participle. It shows how these things happen. He's given us these commands. Now, how do we live them out? We know certain things. We remember certain things. We discipline our minds to know these truths, to think about these truths, and to let these truths change us. Now, what are the truths that should help us be captivated by God's grace. Number one, God's grace in our life came at a high cost. God's grace in our life came at a high cost. Again, this is a reminder of things he's already told us and things we know throughout Scripture, but he sees it as so important. He starts us back there. God's grace, our experience of grace that we love to delight in and talk about, comes at a high cost. Now, friends, the reality is, in our human nature, we tend to be captivated by expensive things, Right? We tend to be captivated by things that are very costly. That is why there's no shortage of TV shows about how to flip your house to make it look like a mansion. And I'm not quite sure how this works because they interview the people and they're like, hi, I'm a librarian and I'm a stay-at-home gamer and we had a $2 million budget to change our house. And I don't know how they do it, but they do that. But there's all these shows that captivate us with what could be. And, oh, my house could look like that. There's shows that captivate us of these exotic destinations, exotic trips. We go and we're like, ooh, I want to go there. Or the lifestyles of the athletes or the rich or the celebrities. We, we're constantly bombarded with things that call us to be captivated by costly things. And Peter knows that. And Peter knows our tendency to do that. And so he anchors us here at the beginning with reminding us of the cost of God's grace because it's more costly than anything that can be presented to us on TV, anything that we can offer to us in this life. Go back to verse 18 here. He says, knowing that, what are we knowing? What are we remembering? That you were 
ransomed. Now let's just stop right there. Some of your translations say you were redeemed, you were ransomed. It's the same idea there. Now when we hear redeem, when we hear redemption, or we hear ransom, we think religious terms because we've heard it in the church is the one place we hear these terms the most. But when Peter's original audience heard the idea of ransom or redemption, these weren't religious terms to them. These were financial terms to them. Because at the time, to, re to ransom or redeem was used to how you purchased freedom for a slave. So if there was a slave in the Roman Empire, and someone wanted to buy that slave freedom, they could go pay the price, the expensive price for that person, and then buy them to set them free. They would be ransomed or redeemed. It was also used in the culture at the time to describe the price you paid to the enemy to release a hostage. So if the other nation or someone had someone from your nation, you could pay the price to ransom them. That's why we still talk about ransom payments to people today in war-type situations. These were financial terms. And Peter excuse me, takes this financial term and applies it to our experience of grace and says, you were ransomed, you were redeemed. He's saying, don't forget, you were bought with a price. Paul brings the same idea, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. He says, you were bought with a price. Now, what was the price? What was the cost? Go back to verse 18 of 1 Peter. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, notice this, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. So not with the things that tend to captivate us in our human flesh. That's not what we were ransomed or redeemed or bought with. Rather, what were we bought with? Verse 19 but with the precious blood of Christ. Blood here is a reference to his willing death. Friends, this grace that is so common to us was purchased at the astronomical cost of God the Son himself, humbling himself, coming from heaven, being born of a virgin in a manger, living a perfect life to fulfill the price so that he could go to the cross and endure the most cruel form of execution ever imagined by man and take our place. Hence the imagery here in verse 19 from the Old Testament. He was like a lamb without blemish or spot. That Christ was the perfect sacrifice. The one who never sinned took our sin upon himself with the cruelest execution ever imagined so that we could be forgiven. That was the cost. If we want grace instead of wrath, it took the perfect sacrifice of God the Son himself. I love how Wayne Grudem says it. He's one of my favorite theologians. He said, so precious in God's sight is this death and the blood which represents it that it should never be lightly esteemed by us. So precious in it. Notice even in our text in verse 18, you're ransomed with, sorry, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. Not just with the blood of Christ, but it's the precious blood. This was precious to God. And so precious in God's sight is what Christ did. It should never be lightly esteemed by us. So back to our question, are we captivated by God's grace or do we tend to lightly esteem it. And so Peter says to be captivated by God's grace, remember first the incredible cost of you having it. Second of all, though, he says there's more to it, as if that's not enough, which it would be. But what else captivates us with God's grace? Not just the cost, but it was God's intentional plan. It was God's intentional plan. Now, friends, I am mesmerized. I, my mind quickly is captivated with intricate plans that come together. So if it wasn't for some self-control from the Lord, I could veg out all day on Discovery Plus 
watching impossible engineering and mega factories and how things are made. I know that may not be your interest, but I could spend all day with this because it's mesmerizing to me. It's captivating how people could spend years figuring out how to divert a river so they can clear out a canyon and build a dam that will then last for you know, hundreds of years. Or you look at how in Dubai they can take a sandy desert and they can put, you know, hundred story skyscrapers and build islands where there were no islands and build things. You watch years of planning come together and it's fascinating to me to see the intricacies of all that. But there is a plan greater than any plan that fascinates us and it was God's plan for grace. And so look at what Peter says about this. This was God's intentional plan. This is the best plan ever devised. Verse 20, he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That he here is Christ from the previous verse. That he, Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown. Foreknown here, some of your translations say he was chosen or he was destined. It's the same word we saw earlier in First Peter. And let me just remind you, in Scripture, when you see the word of foreknown or foreknowledge, it's not just God knows what's going to happen. It's a word that means he planned for this to happen. This is his good, perfect will. This is his intentional plan that he came up with. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, when it's clearly used this way. This Jesus delivered up, and it's talking about his death, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You see it right there, side by side of sentence. The definite plan of God is the foreknowledge of God. What happened to Christ being crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men was God's perfect plan. It was his well-planned plan to send Christ, to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law that we break every day to die the death in our place to take our punishment so we get grace instead of wrath. But notice something important in this verse. When God came up with this plan, this was not after the fall. The fall, when sin came into the world and the curse happened, God's like, now like, hmm, what do we do now? I need a plan B for my creation here. It's not, oops, humans messed it up too bad. What am I going to do next? Look at the time. It's verse 20. He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That's a phrase in Scripture that means creation. Before God even created a perfect world, he had already predetermined, it was already his perfect plan for Christ to come make a way for you and I by taking the wrath we deserve so that we get grace instead. You see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5 in God's intentional timing. Paul says to the people in Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Throughout Scripture, the testimony is God's not in heaven going, oops, they messed it up, how do I fix it? But he had a plan from before time began to show the fullness of his nature, the fullness of his character, where we see both grace and wrath meet at the cross, where we see mercy and justice meet at the cross. And so God's plan was to put upon us grace by putting the wrath we deserve on Christ, and he did that before the foundation of the world. That's why Peter can say to us back in the very first two verses, look back in verses one and two, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so those who are elect exiles. This is God's plan. It wasn't our plan. It was God's plan. We are elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now verse 2, according to the foreknowledge, the definite plan of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So Peter's reminding us this thing that is so that we can so easily forget about. He says, get captivated by it. Remember, God's grace came at an astronomical cost. Remember, God's grace was his plan from before he even made the world. 
But Peter's not done yet. He wants us captivated with God's grace. So he tells us a third reminder that we've heard before in his letter already. So that the grace we have is something others longed to experience. The grace we have and that we so often take for granted, people longed for generation upon generation to have what we now have. Verse 20 is where you get a glimpse of it again. He says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He was made manifest, or some translations, he was revealed or he appeared. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, Christ coming in human flesh. In this time since Christ came, he calls it here the last times. Last times in scripture is the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. This time where we know who the Messiah is, this time where we have the gospel, this time where we get to experience God's grace. But in bringing this out, Peter's taking us back to what he had already shown us, that there was a time before Christ was made manifest, before Christ was revealed, when people did not know who he was. There was a hope for thousands of years that a Messiah would come, but they didn't know what all that would look like. They did not know who he was or the fullness of grace that we now take for granted. So go back to verse 10 through 12 that we saw just a few weeks ago. Concerning this salvation, this this grace you and I have, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit in Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. It was revealed to them they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter's taking us back to that. Again, he's just a few verses later. He's reminding us of this truth that the grace we now have is something that for thousands of years, people wish they could know what it would be like. And we go through, are we captivated with other things that some people for thousands of years were captivated with wondering what it would be like. Peter's saying to us, wake up, be amazed. Christ has been revealed to you. Look back in verse 20. And don't miss this last phrase. He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of, of you for your benefit god and his grace let us be born in the time of the gospel the time of the church where we know who the messiah is and we don't just get to know about him we get to experience intimacy with him we have an amazing gift that people for generations long to know so peter says get captivated by this if you want to stand firm in god's grace be captivated by that grace remember the cost of your redemption remember god's plan for you was this before time began remember others for thousands of years long to have what you now have he's not done yet though he keeps going he says remember also that god's grace is secure god's grace is guaranteed for you, you don't have to worry about losing god's grace it is secure it is precious to you because it is stable it's secure it's guaranteed go back to verse 18 we looked at this phrase a minute ago but i want to show you one more thing from it it says knowing that you were ransomed now just let's stop right there this word ransom you were bought in the greek language in which peter writes this is passive i mean it's not something you can do something that has to be done to you. You cannot ransom yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. It's something that you just have to wait for someone to do it for you. So we were ransomed not because of anything in us. We were redeemed because of God himself did it for us. Now, the beauty of this truth, friends, if that God is the one who ransoms us, that means nothing can unransom us. Okay? If God's the one who redeemed us, nothing can unredeem us. This is God's plan for us. He has done it. That's why I go back to verse 3. Peter's already told us this again. He's reminding us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he, God himself, not us, has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So because he's done it, nothing can undo it. So verse four, therefore we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, lest we're concerned that if we really have it, we'll lose it. Verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, our experience of grace is secure, not because we're trying to hold on to God, but because God is trying, not God is trying, God is holding on to us by his power. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but when I read this text, God's power holding us, my mind goes back to when I was a little boy, and I think it came to mind this week, knowing that football season is just around the corner for us. When I was a young kid, when I was little, when I was four, my parents started taking me to Auburn football games. So at four years old, I'm going already Jordan-Hare with 80,000 other people. When you're four years old and short, it's kind of a scary place to be. But as I would walk around Jordan-Hare with my parents, my hope in not getting lost wasn't me and my little tiny grip trying to hang on to my dad, but it was my dad with his strong grip holding on to me, walking me around the stadium. I couldn't see over the crowd. I couldn't see where our section was. I couldn't see where the seats were or the hot dog stand was, but he could. So my hope was not me trying to hang on to my dad. It was his bigger grip over my little hand holding me tight. So the crowds pushing and bumping us didn't cause me to get lost. That's the image my mind keeps going back to. It's God's power that is holding us. Friends, we're not trying to feebly hang on to God by our efforts. It's his omnipotent, all-powerful grip holding on to us saying, I've given you grace. You're secure in me. And be amazed by that. So Peter says to be captivated by God's grace. Remember the cost Christ gladly paid for. Remember, this was God's intentional plan for you to be an elect to exile. This was something that others for thousands of years wished they could experience and you get to experience. He says, and even more is secure. God's holding on to it. Nothing will take you from it. And one last truth that Peter puts out in these reminders for us to help us get captivated by grace. He says, God's grace will radically change you. God's grace, number five, it will radically change you. How does it change us? First, it takes away something from us. <clears throat> Excuse me, go back to verse 18. He says, knowing you were ransomed, notice this, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. We were ransomed from the feudal ways that have been known throughout world history. What does feudal mean? Feudal means to be vain, to be empty, to be worthless. So no longer are we bound to vanity and emptiness. I think there's two things in view with that. We are no longer bound to the emptiness of sin. We're no longer bound to spend our lives slaves to sin with all the emptiness that comes with it. But also on the flip side, we're also now freed from the vanity of trying to earn God's favor. We're told in Scripture, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. No longer do we have to figure out, how am I going to earn God's favor? How am I going to try to please God? We're freed from the vanity of our own works and from the vanity of our own sin. God's grace frees us from being slaves to sin. God's grace frees us from being slaves to self-righteousness. What does he give us instead of the futility that our lives were marked with? Verse 21 here. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Here it is. So that your faith and your hope are in God. Instead of the vanity we have before, we now have faith, we now have hope. Now these are used as synonyms here. We saw this earlier in the letter. He wants us to have a hope, a living hope. And let me remind you, when Peter talks about hope here and other places in the letter, hope is a confident expectation and a joyful anticipation. Hope here, as Peter's using it, is a confident expectation. I know what is going to happen because God has told me. I know what the inheritance is that is waiting for me. And it's a joyful anticipation that my heart longs for that day. I have this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. God's grace gives us that hope and eternal life. 
Go back to verse 4. An inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. But it gives us confident expectation now as we walk through the hardships of life that God is bringing good to us now. Verse 6 and 7. And this you rejoice. That's a strange word for what's to come. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. We have the confident expectation, the joyful anticipation in eternal life, but in walking with God now, knowing he even redeems the trials and the hardships you are walking through to bring good to your faith through it. So let's bring all that back together, friends. Back to our question, what most captivates your heart and your mind? Peter says, no, remember, really no, not just no intellectually, but no in your heart that God has given you grace at the cost of Christ's blood. That Christ joyfully shed his blood, the most expensive gift ever purchased because he wanted to give you <clears throat> his grace. He says, do you know, do you remember that this gift was not some afterthought for God? This is not what happened so much for us. Oh, it's his birthday. Okay, what do I have I can wrap up real quick for him? This is not some last minute thought. This is before God even made us. He knew we'd rebel. He knew what happened. Before he made us, he said, I'm still gonna set apart you to be my child. This was God's plan. Peter's saying, do you know, do you remember, do you experience this grace is so amazing that thousands of years people long for what you now have? And saying, do you know, do you remember how secure this grace is that God's holding you today? You're not holding on to him. He is holding on to you. He says, do you know, do you remember, do you experience a grace so real it is changing you, giving you hope, giving you faith, giving you confidence in life? Peter's saying, think about these things, remember these things, and let these captivate your heart, captivate your mind. So that raises the question for us, what most captivates our hearts and minds? Friends, if it's not God's grace, what is it? And how does whatever it is compare to God's grace? What is it? that dulls us to this gift to where there's something else that seems more appealing than a gift to us that was determined before the world was made. A gift to us that costs the most expensive sacrifice ever made. A gift to us that is more secure, that can never be taken from us. And a gift that not just we look at on a shelf, but that transforms us. What is it that dulls us to make us like other temporal things more than this amazing gift of grace God has given to us? And friends, in the times when God's grace is what most captivates us, the question for us to rejoice in and celebrate is how is it changing us? Because we've seen over and over, God's saving grace comes with this transforming grace. And when his transforming grace comes, it forever changes us. So friends, those are the questions I want us to reflect on as we come to communion this morning. First of all, do you know God's grace? And friends, if you do know God's grace, is it what captivates your mind? And so if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to come celebrate this this morning. Communion is a gift from God to help us remember the things we're talking about this morning. It's a gift from God to help us focus on and, to, and focus our minds on God's grace. It's a gift to help us be captivated by what God has done. As we break the bread or remind us of Christ's body on the cross, that was broken so that we could have forgiveness of sins. As we drink the juice is a reminder to us that Christ's blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Because scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. As such, friends, what we're about to do is only for followers of Christ. If you do not know Christ, if you do not know this grace we're talking about this morning, please don't take it. 
This is for those who are believing in, trusting in, delighting in the grace of God. If you're not a follower of Christ, as we come forward to receive it, please just remain seated. No one's going to chase you down or come embarrass you or talk to you. We just want you to remain where you are and use the time to reflect on the things we're talking about, what keeps you from believing in this grace of God. But if you know Christ, doesn't matter if you're a member of Gateway or not, if you know Christ and love him because he is first love, you are welcome to come to celebrate communion with us, to remember the body of Christ that was broken for us, to remember the blood of Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, as you're waiting to come forward, I want you to reflect on those questions we were talking about this morning. Be a chance for you as you look at the elements, as you pray, as you reflect, as you worship the Lord where you're seated, to be asking, Lord, what is it that most captivates me? Lord, search my heart because, friends, we're all very self-deceived. I am and you are. It's so easy for our hearts to think, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm believing in God's grace, when in reality, other things may be more appealing to us. So to ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, search me. Show me what is it that I'm more captivated by than your grace. And then as we find that, to confess that to him and to use this as a prayer time to say, Lord, I want to be captivated by your grace. Grow me in longing for your grace. Grow me in appreciating and in wonder of the grace that I have. And so let's use this time to be reminded of God's grace and to ask for more of it. Now, the way we're going to receive it this, just this morning, I'm going to pray in just a minute. And then I'm, as I stand at the front here, our praise team is going to come first. And some of our ushers will direct you. We'll make two aisles down the middle of the room to come receive it. And then you'll come down the middle and go back to your seats. You'll get the bread. <coughs> you'll get the juice. Now, if you're not comfortable um, coming forward to get to the elements here, we do have pre-sealed elements in the back of the room. So if you'd rather um, have something that no one else has been around, we have pre-sealed elements available for you in the back of the room. You're welcome to get up and get those as others are coming forward. And we have gluten-free options for those with dietary needs. But praise team will come, then our ushers will direct you. So would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for your grace. And Lord, those words can seem so trite sometimes. So pray for my heart and the heart of these friends today that you would really stir in us a thankfulness for your grace, that you would stir in us a longing, Lord, to know more of your grace. I pray this morning as we see the bread and we see the juice, as we eat of the bread and drink of the juice, that you would remind us of that incredible cost of our salvation. You'd remind us of this was your plan from before the foundation of the world. You'd remind us that this is what the prophets for thousands of years were pointing people to. You'd remind us, Lord, that this is secure because you have done it and no one can stop your plan. And you would remind us that knowing Christ changes us. So, Lord, as we worship, as we pray, as we take this as an act of worship, as we reflect, I pray your Holy Spirit will be searching each one of us, showing us things we love more than the grace of God, showing us areas that you desire to transform us and grow us this week, and that you would use this to turn our hearts closer to you, that we might praise you for who you are and all that you've done. And, Lord, we give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we just remain seated, our praise team is going to come receive the elements, and then our ushers will direct you once the praise team members have come.
sing this sing this with us in Christ alone my hope is found and he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the faces drowned and sore of love, what depths of peace, when fears are sealed, when striving cease, my comforter, my home in all, here in the love of Christ, I'll
I was studying this week, an author I was reading had a prayer in light of this verse, and I was like, Lord, this is what a great prayer, what a great request. So this is from a guy named David Helm. I just thought this would be a good closing prayer for us to say it out loud together. So would you read it with me? Oh, Lord, help us to set our hopes not on what we can do, but on what Christ has already done in redeeming us by his love. Not on our own agendas, but on your plans for us. Not on what we think we deserve, but on your grace, your unmerited kindness to us. Lord, let it be, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, Amen.